When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Base boys, bitch boys. Base boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Boys coming at ya. Hey, Hal Rudnick here, and sitting across from me on my computer screen, Lon Harris. Lon, what is happening in your world? Pow! Coming at ya! Yes. We got we got stacks and stacks of red hot wax, folks. Oh yeah, spinning the hits and <laughs> taking the shits. No, that would not be said yeah, on what? radio. Coming up on 1.46 p.m., getting your drive time going, uh, here's Supergrass. If you're out there on the 110 freeway, I am feeling sorry for you because it's a crawl. And the, and other and, things and, and there radio you go. And the, there people you, there might you go. say. Yeah. It's, it's Flash Friday here on Binge Boys. Oh, oh, you had to take it to Tom Likas. Always take it back to Professor Likas. Likas oh, 101. Always. Oh, boy. I, I like leaving out everybody who's not part of the L.A. radio market from our show. Yes, just FYI. I don't want them to feel included unless you lived in the L.A. radio market like uh, 20 years ago. For that's the, that's the only people I'm aiming this for. Yes, uh, Lon has a very specific niche he's targeting <laughs> with every show, with his references. Um, he constantly references the Accidentes uh, billboard guy. Yes, the, right. Sweet James also <laughs> Sweet loves James. Sweet James. Oh, uh, call Jacob. Yeah, call Jacob. <laughs> call Jacob and Sweet James. For those of you not from L.A., yes. those are our two. It's really not even just Los Angeles generally. I believe West L.A. has their own billboard lawyers. But if you yes. are on the eastern side or the downtown of L.A., those are the two lawyers that are that are facing off. It's called Jacob versus Sweet James. Yes, but I think probably every uh, uh, geographical location in the United States has their particular accident ambulance chasing lawyer. Right, it's your your bench lawyer. Like when you're sitting at the bench waiting for the bus, who's the lawyer who probably bought that? That's your your version of Sweet James. Yeah, so like when you get get that DUI, you're like, oh, what is the radio advertising that's stuck in my head? Interestingly, with Los Angeles, I'm sure there are other cities like multilingual U.S. cities that are like this. But in in L.A. specifically, we always have there's this Spanish language version of all of this. Oh, sure. So, like, here's the 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 cheap auto insurance guy for the English speakers. But then here's Veronica, 
the cheap auto insurance specialist for the Spanish oh, yeah. speakers. Like, and they're always like like billboards across the street from one another. It's really interesting how that kind of works out. Listen, everybody needs cheap insurance and everybody needs... Everybody's getting three to seven DUIs and yes. needs to, like me, and needs to consult a lawyer. I'm yeah, assuming. or to file a lawsuit for workman's comp because yeah. you've been injured on the job. Yeah. You guys all have seven DUIs, right? That's a, that's like a, that's like average, right? I think. Oh, now we're going down the rabbit hole of Dark's lawn's dark history. Seven to nine DUIs? Yeah. I don't have any. No, no. I'm white. They don't. Police don't pull me over. Yeah, I mean, sad but true. Police don't pull you over, but if you are white and blonde, police will um, make a national story out of uh, your uh, out of you going missing, as opposed to uh, oh, the missing, right? Okay, I couldn't tell where you were. I was like, who who did police beat up that was white or blonde? Nobody, right? Oh no, but but I don't think that's uh, ever happened. The media and police will not stop talking. Right, Gabby, Gabby Petito. Yes, very very sad story, but uh, yeah, people of color and indigenous people, etc. Uh, Lon, we're really going off track here. Yeah, the- wow. I don't know where you got a important, yeah, murdered indigenous people. That's why. Yeah, why'd I get up really? on my soapbox there? About the- but it is serious stuff. Um, and uh, you know what? Maybe. <laughs> it's twice now we've tried to get away and you've been, you've pulled us back. I'm, I'm just trying to put a, an awkward button on this. Because uh, it's something I'm really interested in, but maybe this is not the time. Maybe not. So. How about how about this? How about uh, ten seconds of dead air, and then we'll move on. If you want it, the most awkward transition possible, you ready? Uh, no, we're gonna just move on. Oh, okay, no. I'm I'm doing it. Oh, no, I, I will do it. Let's talk you, about the news. We don't need dead. Yes, did it, did it, did it, did it, did it. Here's Lon and the news. Oh, he's doing the 10 seconds of dead air. Three seconds. I gave us a little buffer. There's a potential strike, Hal. It may happen. The International Association of Theatrical Stage Employees, IATSE or IATSE. Is that how mm-hmm. you say it? IATSE, yeah. IATSE. It's a, a, I, don't, I, don't, I don't like that. Not to be I confused like, with the fun game of dice in a cup, IATSE. That's IATSE. I, yeah, I feel like we should. you should only be allowed to have an acronym that we can shorten into a word. IATSE makes my head hurt. But anyway, mm-hmm. and that is a lot of the people who work on films and TV shows behind the camera. So yes. your, your cinematographers, your editors, your camera op, a lot of the on-site crew, like a lot of those people. Lighting, grips, craft service. Lighting, your grips, your craft service, all, all the behind-the-scenes people who are on a set but not acting or directing. Those people are members of this union. Uh, it's one of the largest unions, certainly in the entertainment industry, uh, and they have never before gone on strike. So this would be the biggest Hollywood labor union shutdown since the writer's strike of 14 years ago. Mm. Among the outrageous things they're asking for, uh, more rest breaks and longer turnaround between production hours. For people who don't work on sets, uh, a lot of the time, once a show or film has entered production, it is a marathon. It is relentless. You're talking about 18-hour days, back to back to back. These people are on their feet. They're running around. It's extremely hectic and busy and chaotic. And so what they're asking for is basically like, let's make this a little bit more of a livable work environment. Yeah, similar to, you know, like some of the complaints you hear from many other industries. And this is why we have unions. So people don't take advantage of you like Amazon and, uh, you know, give you just endless grueling hours. Yeah, just to be uh, treated with a little bit of respect and given 
like a sense of normalcy and decorum in yeah in how they conduct uh, business. There's also to connect it to our podcast even a bit more. Uh, there is an ongoing conversation happening in Hollywood now about streaming versus more traditional forms of entertainment for a very long time now. As long as new media, internet media, digital streaming has existed. Studios have gotten away with saying, look, this is an experimental new thing. We don't know how it's going to work out. We don't know how we're going to make money off of it. We should be allowed to change the rules for how it works if you're working on a streaming project versus a theatrical film or a show that's going to go on television. And we've now deep enough into the streaming era, decades in, where there's no really, there isn't really lingering doubt that Netflix and HBO Max and even YouTube and all of these platforms are here to stay and a viable way for these companies to make money. They would not keep building them otherwise. Mm -hmm. So once we're at this point, a lot of people who work in Hollywood are saying, okay, we need to get rid of that rule change. Like you have to follow the rules, even if it's just a streaming show, because streaming shows are just like TV shows now. There's not Ted Lasso can win Emmys. So why do the people working on Ted Lasso have different rules than the people working on a show that's on NBC? Yeah. Why why does a grip on Ted Lasso have to kiss their child on the forehead and say, I may never see you again? Exactly. And and, and so all of the, a lot of the union stories we just heard about, there was a WGA standout, like all all of these stories, they're all kind of overlapping with that now. Mm -hmm. Should studios continue to be able to get away with treating streaming content differently than traditional content? Right. And but Lon, uh, you are a staunch um, uh, picket line crosser. What? You, Did you, you just call me a scab on my own podcast? Uh, yeah. Oh, oh uh, correct me you? from. Oh, maybe I'm, I'm uh, then I, I stand corrected. What have I? I thought you what were. Have I, what picket line have I crossed? Oh, I thought everyone knew that like Lon Harris was ready to go to work and pick up the slack where those unions <laughs> step away from. Yeah, all those grip jobs that I'm always getting. I'd be a terrible, I don't know how to lift things. I, I'm not strong. I've been, every time I've been on a set, I've been like the writer on a set. And I'm mm-hmm. anytime I stand up, I feel like if I leave Video Village on a set, Video Village is where the director sits and it's where the writer often sits and producers when they visit. It's where the people who aren't actually working, you just watch a monitor and you see what they're filming and you're out of everyone's way who's doing important things. And that is Lingo with Lon. And every time I leave Video Village, I immediately am overwhelmed with the feeling like I'm in everyone's way. Like I'm like the little boy in the factory and the like things are gonna just start falling on me and I'm, I'm, I'm underfoot and everybody needs me to just be out of their way. So I would be the worst person to hire to put on your on your film set. One follow-up question. Okay, you say you claim you're not a scab, and I'll take your word for it. Well, I don't know where this rumor came from. I literally just made it I mean, it I've up. written I several episodes of Ted Lasso, but I, purely I li- it was union work. <laughs> um, you never worked as a strike breaker like um, <laughs> like, um, like Marlon or, yeah, like Marlon Brando and on the waterfront. Yeah, during my time with the Pinkertons. <laughs> I did break up several strikes. That's true. Yes, that's true. No, of course. Hitting guys in the head with a little billy club. Very supportive. Uh, okay, I've never, good, I've never been good. on strike. Like, it's always been a thing I've wanted to do. I was not yet in the WGA when that strike happened in 2007. So I've never actually been been in a picket line, but I, I, I would like to. It's a life goal. Nice. Well, I mean, you could go down there and show solidarity. 
Yeah, that I, in my head, if I'm participating in a strike, I'm part of the strike, not breaking the strike. I don't particularly feel fidelity with capitalist pigs who break strikes. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. Union busters. Good that's to not, hear. That's not my personal brand, folks. Good. Let's move on. So anyway, that's on the horizon. I feel like I don't feel like I've heard a lot of people discussing the fact that all TV and film production could shut down. Like we're talking like the first or second week of October. Like this is yeah. like a strike authorization vote has been called for by the mm-hmm. leadership of the union. It will probably happen the first week of October. Maybe it's because this union has never gone on strike before. So people assume it's just a threat and they won't actually do it. And maybe that's true, but it could happen, folks. Right. That's all this I'm thing saying. is looming. And uh, TBD, TBD. I, and a lot of, you've seen on Twitter a lot of people who are in other entertainment unions, SAG, WGA, DGA, PGA, have been expressing solidarity that they too will go on strike and not work in entertainment if IATSE goes on strike. I posted a thing on my uh, oh, socials. Oh, look at you. Yep. Yeah, Comrade Rudnick. Here. Yeah, Jeez. I'm a double. I'm in two unions, so uh, oh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll stand with those. Well, has I'll stand with the rest of them. Life, folks. Uh, uh, let's move not on. Not a callus on my hands. Let's go. <laughs> Netflix purchased the Roald Dahl Story Company. They managed the adaptation rights for all of the late author's best-known work. I say best-known. I think it's all of his work, but I, there might be somebody out there who knows of like a Roald Dahl short story that's not included. I don't want to get called out. Oh folks. yeah, there, I bet there's probably some deep cuts. I I believe it's 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 all of the Roald Dahl stories you're thinking of your 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 BFGs your twits your, your mm-hmm. all, all of that stuff fall your Jameses and the giant peaches yes those all fall under this so all of that now belongs part and parcel to Netflix Warner Brothers is making that prequel with Timothy Chalamet as the young Wonka that's going to keep moving forward but otherwise Roald Dahl adaptations will be the exclusive. Domain of Netflix, Taika Waititi, of course, working on a show uh, inspired by Charlie and the Chocolate Factory for them right now. Oh, wait. So there's two? There's two Wonka? There's uh, a Wonka prequel movie with Timothy Chalamet, and we just heard that Keegan-Michael Key has been cast in that. That is the early life of Willy Wonka. We don't really know much more about it than that. Mm -hmm. That is a theatrical film from Warner Brothers, no connection to Netflix. Gotcha. That's moving forward. Otherwise... Everything else is happening on Netflix, and that includes Taika Waititi's working on an Oompa Loompa show. Oh, yes. And a separate show that's somehow Charlie and the Chocolate Factory connected. Those will both be on Netflix, and they're making a movie adaptation of the Broadway musical version of Matilda. There was that Matilda the Musical. Mm-hmm. That now is going to be a film that will be on Netflix. That guy Tim Minchin did all the... Okay. That Australian guy. What do we you know, know about? Oh, I don't. I don't know Tim Minchin, but uh, he's an Australian. He does. It's like comedy songs, but they're good enough songs that sometimes he gets lumped in with being a, a musician. He just a musician, like a Jonathan Colton would be like the like a musician okay. who works quirky, fun songs. Gotcha. And the the Taika Waititi Oompa Loompa project. Yes. I mean, does does that deal with their like indentured servitude or? We don't know. The The only information, they said Taika Waititi is currently developing two Charlie and the Chocolate Factory themed shows for Netflix, and one of them is Oompa Loompa centric. That's, that's all that we know so far. I wasn't uh, a fan of the changeover of Oompa Loompas you to mean be Deep all Roy, the the Indian actor who plays all the Oompa Loompas. Yes, I like the I like him himself, but I preferred that the Oompa Loompas were this weird creature as opposed to Did you did you remember 
I'm going to blow some minds. Okay. That actor, Deep Roy, he's been Deep in Roy. dozens of movies. Yes. He was memorably in the film The Never-Ending Story. He's the little guy with the top hat who rides a snail around in The Never-Ending Story. Same actor. Wow. Iconic fantasy roles, like 20-some years apart. Career-spanning decades. I never put that together until we recently we did uh, The Never-Ending Story as an honest trailer, and so mm -hmm. I went back and watched it and was shocked. Yes, that's to a see deep, Oompa that's Loompa a deep, deep Roy, Roy. Deep Roy, deep cut. Deep Roy, deep cut right there, yeah. I'm going to disagree with you. I do not really care for the Tim Burton chocolate factory, but most of my problems with that are depth-centric. Mm -hmm. I actually kind of like the Deep Roy. The Deep Roy Danny Elfman song stuff was like some of the best stuff in the movie, I thought. Hmm. Okay. Because it feels I like it's a new, everything else kind of felt perfunctory. Right. Like we're just doing like the Tim Burton version of Willy Wonka. Uh, and then you get whatever Johnny Depp was doing, like a Michael Jackson impression. I don't really think it translates. Yeah. Um, but at least there it was like, okay, this feels kind of Burton-y, and you get the Danny Elfman songs, and it was something. We've given us something. Yeah, I, th I think it took, I mean, the first movie, the, you know, I don't want to go too far down the route, but had a little more, the first movie had uh, just a lot more, like, bite and attitude. I feel I felt like this one was trying to just be too nice about everything. Yeah, Gene Wilder makes one. Willy Wonka, like, aggressive and kind of scary mm -hmm. and johnny depp just makes him like weird and like quirky and eccentric and it's just not as fun like you just no. you spend your time being like what's what's with this guy what's his deal whereas with gene wilder it's very like in your face and confrontational and that's what makes it funny and memorable and and unexpected i mean it's kind of roald Dahl just generally it's like this is for kids, but it's mean. Like, that's yes. that's the whole formula. Like, that's basically all Roald Dahl has going on. It's like, <laughs> what if something was for kids, but everyone in it was just a bastard and the world was really cruel? And everybody's like, oh, I relate to that. The world is really cruel. Yeah, real life. Everyone is a bastard. Um, I always thought Harry Potter had that, not, not to praise Ms. Rowling, but mm -hmm. one thing I think she captures, especially early on in those first few Potters, is like, it's a shitty, awful world that he's in. Yes. Like, he's living under the stairs and eating fish heads. And, like, they even soften it in the films. Like, they're really brutal to him, the Dursleys, in that first book. And I think that that's that part of the appeal is, like, everybody just sort of naturally takes to that. Because that's how it feels when you're a kid. It's like, wow, everything is terrible. Everyone's really mean. I yeah, don't do shit muggles, to any of these people. Muggles suck. Friggin' muggles, bro. Yep. Honestly, magic people are just as bad as it's not just muggles. Everybody sucks in the Harry Potter world. True. They're some... trying to, like, murder him. He's a baby. What, like, what's your problem? Yeah, there were some shitty magic people, too. Just terrible. Uh, Netflix announced a new slate. That If you take one thing away from today's podcast, folks, it's that everyone in the world of Harry Potter is terrible. Horrific. Literally everyone. From the author down. The entire wizarding world for shit. I'm done with it. Yep. Netflix announced a new slate of true crime documentaries and series, including... A sequel to Tiger King, Tiger King 2. Now, wow. Carol Baskin has confirmed she won't participate. Okay. She still feels abused by Tiger King 1. They told her it was going to be like Blackfish, like, oh, it's going to be about how wrong it is to keep tigers in captivity. Mm -hmm. And she's like, great. And then she watches it. And it's like, oh, no, this is about how I'm a lunatic. Yes, um, we're painting you to be a murderer. Yeah. So, so she's not taking part. The filmmakers, they are still in touch with Joe Exotic. This whole mm -hmm. time he's, of course, been in prison for both the murder for hire plot against Carol Baskin and animal abuse charges. 
So presumably it will follow up with him. We don't really know exactly what it's going to be. I guess just more of Joe Exotic and his stories from jail. You know, it feels like the story kind of ran its course, but... Oh, more than... It feels beyond... Like, honestly, I feel like the last episode or two of Tiger King, it already had kind of run out of steam, right? Yeah, and then you had that weird postscript uh, hosted by, was it Will Arnett? Joel Joel McHale. Oh, Joel McHale. (laughs) Uh, Will Arnett and Joel McHale. They're, you know, like, come on. It's are, are, Do those need to be two different guys? No. Thank we, you. We get it. But, uh, you know, it, it's such a mega hit that, that people will click. People will click. So there Normally, you go. Normally, in this situation, I would be like, look, they must have something. They wouldn't announce a whole second run of Tiger King unless they got the goods. But in 2021, with Netflix... I no longer feel confident. Like, they will publish that, like, Bob Ross, Treasure Clouds, and We Live in a Society, or whatever it was called. Yes. Uh, they did not have the goods, and yet they produced the film anyway, and we're just like, fucking sit there and watch it. So, yeah. at Happy this Accidents, point now, Murder, and Intrigue, or whatever the fuck it's called. So, at this point now, I no longer, I feel like they might be deliberately wasting my time here. We're going to talk about, later in the show, a documentary series, finally, that did not make me feel that way, that very much had the goods. Lon, here's what you just said something. Little tease. Uh, oh, yes. Uh, a, little, a little tease, a little tease that about one that, that you feel like it did not waste your time. But you just said Netflix might be deliberately wasting your time. They are literally in that business. No, no. They're in the business of giving me valuable ways to spend my time. Not waste my time. I, I don't, I don't no. want to waste a moment. I want to I get something out of this viewing of The Witcher Nightmare of the Wolf. Well, that, you know, maybe you are that much, you know, listen, you are a discerning viewer. Um, yeah. Even even as a, as a voracious a viewer as you are, you're still a discerning viewer. But I think a lot of us, like I, you know, I come and go. Sometimes I'm discerning. Sometimes I'm like, all right, let me just waste time. And I think a lot of people just want to waste time. But uh, killing time is not the same as wasting time. Like, wait, um, like, like. Fine line, fine line. But I'm not entertained. Like, if I'm entertained, it's not wasted. I was entertained. The Bob Ross documentary was not entertaining. You kept promising me I was going to get some payoff and then it never arrived. That's what I'm saying. That is their business to just put content out there. Some people will like it. No, I disagree. I disagree. I think that's dereliction of duty on Netflix's part if it's just content that's not, there's no value. Listen, it's all content. Some will have value. Some will be That's why there's a binge boys so that we can tell you when things have value. And when yes. they are about Bob Ross or Sasquatch. Thank God for the service we're doing. We are, we're doing a valuable public service. We're, we're heroes. What I, I don't like to put it in these terms, but we are heroes. God bless us. God, yeah, really. Nobody appreciates. I'm saluting. I'm saluting <laughs> us. <laughs> they did announce some other docs besides Tiger King 2. Uh, one is called Trust No One, which is about amateur sleuths investigating the death of a crypto millionaire. The Tinder Swindler, which is about a um, Tinder Swindler and yes. a few others. So there is more coming. Oh, so those are two different. Trust No One and the Tinder Yes, the Tinder these are, they, announced, they announced a few others, too. Those are the ones I'm highlighting. They announced a bunch of uh, upcoming true crime-related content. That first one, uh, Trust No One, that has all my favorite things in it. Amateur sleuths. Uh, crypto uh, uh, crypto thieves, uh, man. That's it. That's the, those are your two favorite yeah, I, things. I love amateur sleuthing, and I love uh, and I love dishonest crypto guys. Your diamond hands, and you're always on the forums trying to catch catch. 
that's a criminal. Oh, I am on I am on many Reddit forums trying to We gotta bust this guy, folks. Yep, I'm adding up clues. I just blew this case wide open. Mm-hmm. That's why you're so fired up about Gabby Petito. You were scanning all of those na- national park uh, videos looking for her in the background. Let's just say I have it on good authority that Brian Laundrie is in Canada. Oh, wow. Breaking news. Breaking on this. Just He's kidding. A- I know nothing. I know literally nothing. He's looking for all those missing indigenous people we don't talk about. Thank you. You really brought it together. Yeah, <laughs> see? Eddie Murphy signed a three-movie first-look deal with Amazon. He's going to develop films for the Prime Video platform and star in at least three of them himself. Mm. So it may be more films that he produces or whatever, but at least three of these are going to star Eddie Murphy. Now, this is in addition to he's working on two current projects with Netflix that are still moving forward, including uh, that untitled comedy with Jonah Hill Uh and Kenya Barris, where it's like a guess who's coming to dinner type thing. And then uh, he's also working on Beverly Hills Cop 4, which theoretically is still moving forward. Theoretically, it's been a while. That's one of those ones where there was like a rush of news like a year ago. Mm -hmm. We haven't heard anything since. It was going to be the Bad Boys uh, three guys. Okay. The yeah, Bad yeah, Boys yeah. three, Bad Boys for Life directors have been sort of like loosely attached to Beverly Hills Cop the four project, yeah. at Netflix. But I feel like we could hear that that's not happening at any time. Like late career Eddie Murphy has been a mixed bag. I mean, Dolomite is great, but then you know, there's also not we're not too far removed from a thousand words, which was really bad. Yeah. So well, all of this is because of the runaway success of Coming to America. Coming to America, yes. numerical. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, Amazon picked that up from Sony. They still haven't released viewership data, but they're saying, if you trust Amazon, they're saying this was the biggest first weekend of any movie ever on Prime Video. That Coming to America had a ton of viewership when it first went up. So they are they are all in on Eddie Murphy. I'm willing to take that statement at face value. No, I, I believe them. I mean, it would be great to know how many eyeballs that is and how long they watched for. Oh, but, hundreds, d- dozens, dozens, But hundreds. yeah, I mean, I, I would buy that, that. I mean, Eddie Murphy, a big draw. That was going to be a theatrical film. Oh, hell yeah. And again, that movie, that, like the people who hated that movie, which I saw a lot of hate what were you expecting it was a an okay sequel to it was a great fine. movie i feel like it it does the mistake of being too slavish to the original like it, it doesn't just feel oh, like it's trying yeah. to recapture the tone and the spirit of the original it really feels like they felt the need to revisit just about every joke from the original yes. like you remember this joke you remember that 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 stuff is rarely as fun as it seems like it's going to be but I did feel like there were several original elements that were a lot of fun. I thought Wesley Snipes was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Very funny. Leslie um, Jones was good. Uh, Leslie Jones was fun. I mean, I, yeah. there were enough things they had. There's one very nice scene that brings John Amos back in a nice way. Mm-hmm. Like, there were moments and scenes that I enjoyed. I don't think it's a total loss. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, Kevin Hart and F. Gary Gray are teaming mm-hmm. up for the first time. Those two, you would think maybe have worked together, have never worked together. This will be their their debut collaboration. It's called Lift. It's about a, a shorter man who puts some little blocks in his shoes, so he gets Doesn't a little taller. Exciting. Lift. 
perfect for action maestro F. Gary Gray. Uh, no, it's a, it's about a crew pulling off a daring heist on board a plane oh. that's en route from London to Zurich. So they're on in the air, hence lift. That that's the the physical gotcha. property that keeps planes in the air. Oh, so it's that's not lyft about a disgruntled uh, ride share yeah, like driver. Collateral too. It's about you know. No, no, it's not that kind of a lift. There's no pink mustache. It's just, it's just the the magic of flight. Remember when they p- used to put the pink mustaches on those lift cars? Yeah, and on they the were front these, of the car. F- yeah, these furry, and then they got all matted down and, and disgusting. With it, honestly, looking. that happened very quickly because it's Los Angeles and our city is filthy. Yes. So uh, just, uh, almost immediately, those pink mustaches were grimy blah, blah. and smog filled and disgusting. But they really they stuck with that for a long time. Yes. One thing I want to mention about Lyft, it, it's increasingly rare. This was a spec script. A guy named Dan Kunka wrote this purely on spec for for non industry people. That means nobody hired him to write this. Mm-hmm. This was just a writer had an idea for a movie about a heist on a plane. Probably saw the brilliant and innovative film Money Plane. Yes. I'm just going to throw that out there. Had an idea for this movie, wrote it himself, gave it to his manager, his representation, wherever they sent it around, and then Netflix bought it and is now going to make it into a film. That is how, when I was a, a lad, a lot of movies got made that way. People who were screenwriters would just write things, come up with ideas for movies and write them and then send them around and directors would be like, oh, I saw this script that was really good. Like a lot of the people we think of today as prominent screenwriters, that was how they started. Today, it's really more like uh, a team is having a meeting and they're like, you know what we should do is another G.I. Joe movie. Brilliant, good idea. It should be about this guy. Okay, let's hire this guy to write it. That that very rarely is it the other way, where the writer comes up at the end. So it's nice to see that it is still happening at all. Write your specs, folks. Yeah, uh, the stuff that dreams are made of still works. I'm always surprised in 2021 to read that anything was was a spec script. Like it must be. It, it also means the script is probably great if it got through, just by being a good script and a good idea. You know what, Lon? The Dream Factory is alive and well, making the spec scripts and (laughs) and overworking everyone who is below the line. The Dream Factory. This this city is just all about glamour, folks. That's what, if there's one thing you take. The Dream Factory is like an Amazon warehouse. No bathroom breaks, no weekends off. Except you're pissing into someone's mouth instead of a bottle. That happens at the high-powered Hollywood parties <laughs> afterwards. Uh, a YouTuber named Bill Omar Carrasquillo, uh Omi in a Hellcat is how you may know him online. He was arrested following a federal investigation into an online piracy scam. He's been accused by federal prosecutors of making an estimated $30 million along with two Ooh. partners. They were stealing copyrighted material from cable companies, reposting it online, and charging people for access. What a what a scheme. Oh. Uh, Carrasquillo claims he was not breaking the law. He was exploiting a legal loophole, and mm-hmm. he will explain all of this in court. If convicted on all the charges, he faces a maximum sentence of 514 years in prison. My favorite part of this story guy's a prominent YouTuber. Mm-hmm. So he would do those YouTube videos where he would like buy a Lambo and then like shoot video Instagram, YouTube of him in his car or whatever. Right. So he's using this $30 million that he got in illegal on an illegal piracy scheme. And then he's buying things that there's no way he could otherwise justify gotcha. being able to afford. And he's putting it on the internet. It's not a great masterful criminal scheme. Like how do you 
how are you explaining this to people? Yeah, where did the, where where did all this sudden liquid income come yeah, from? Yeah, it's like Goodfellas when you feel like he needed a friend to like De Niro, like take it back. You take bought your wife back. a pink Cadillac. Return it. Give He's me like, that no, fur coat. God. It's in my mother's name. I put it in my mother's that gift for my wife. Anyway, get rid of it. Anyway, uh, don't don't start. And you're gonna start an illegal piracy scheme. Give that shit away for free, folks. That's what I'm saying. I'm always trying to pirate uh, pay-per-view uh, boxing matches. Oh, really? You're doing those like you you watch those like Estonian streaming sites that they set up, or like I'm either on I'm either on Twitch or on Twitter or on YouTube. Yeah, look. Um, looking to see Jake Paul and Tyron Woodley or whatever. I'm not recommending that anyone do this, but if mm-hmm. you go on Twitter when a live event starts, like yes. within the first 10 minutes, and you just type in the name of that event and streaming yes. as a Twitter search, you will almost definitely find it. So it, may, it may not work. You may have to do it one more time during the event. It may get shut down and you have to switch, but almost always it, it will work. But don't do that. I'm not saying you should do that. You yes, could, yes, but don't do it. Most of the time, I'll, like I'll find one that gets shut down in the middle, and then I'll end up just watching a live stream of a bunch of uh, aggro dudes watching and talking about <laughs> the fight. <laughs> so you can't Honestly, see the fight; you're just watching these dudes. We're in a we're in a weird zone right now where a lot of contracts for live TV were made before the streaming era, and mm-hmm. we just have to wait out. Within five or ten years, I'm pretty convinced that most things you want to watch, you might have to pay for it but will be available to easily stream. And we're just in this time now where like these antiquated deals have to play themselves out before anything can become available. But we'll, we'll get there. I'm confident we'll get there. And that is the Piracy Minute with On and Hell. Arr. <laughs> we, should tell, we should have to talk like a pirate when we do pirate. I, I used to, I remember, I remember BitTorrent. <laughs> <laughs> Enough of that. That's it. That's it for the news, Hal. That's all I've got. Coming up, we're going to talk about the latest from Clint Eastwood, Cry Macho. <laughs> Lon, the, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the man himself, Clint oh, Eastwood, oh he's God. back. He's back. And he. There's a game I love to play with recent Clint Eastwood movies yes. where you try to guess did he do just one take or did he maybe give that one two takes? Because <laughs> we know it's well established. Clint, like, he's like, uh, I'm going to go home at 2, no later than 2.30. He's just that kind of a director. He's mm-hmm. fucking 90. Fair enough. Like, yes. he's acting and directing in a film. I, I, I have no problem with this. Like, take off early, Clint. You've earned it. Yeah. It must be exhausting. But uh, it does mean that he never goes more than, like, one or two takes, like, ever on any film ever. That's just, like, how he how he works. Rumor has it he only does one take in the bedroom. If even that. In this movie, he's, he's turning ladies down left and right. Oh, yeah. So, Cry Macho, it's uh, on HBO Max, and yeah, Clint Eastwood kind of, you know, obviously he's in the twilight of his years. You said it was, yeah, he's in his 90s. He's 91, 91 years he's 91, old. I believe he was 90 when he started production on this movie, and now he is 90. And he plays uh, a cowhand, a rodeo guy who's kind of uh, just at the, yeah, in, in his twilight. Well, I think we need to specify. Yeah. As written. And they didn't change the script to reflect the age of the current actor. Right. This character's clearly supposed to be like 55. Like, he's broken down and retired, but he's uh, an adult man. He's not an elderly senior citizen. And Clint just decided to play the role. And I was comparing it to like Pen15. Like, it honestly feels like a guy who's 90 just 
pretending to be 50 and everybody else is acting like he's 50, but we, the audience, are like, that is a 90-year-old man. Like, like two different women try to seduce him. And it's like, yes. I'm not even saying, can he perform sexually in the bedroom? Like, can he maintain an erection? I'm just like, can he safely engage in the act of lovemaking? Like, no, yeah, no. Th- like, he's going to break a hip. Like, let the man go to sleep. Give him a blanket. What are you doing? Yeah, no, th- yeah, we're, we're living in a fantasy world where women 40 to 40 to 60 years his junior. There's a beautiful 40-year-old woman. I saw one review that's like, this is a movie about Clint Eastwood deciding he's too old for a MILF and getting with a gilf. But these women aren't even MILF gilfs. They're like, they, they're they very young. That first woman is to- 100% a MILF. Absolute. I mean, she's, she's a mom. She's, she's in her beautiful 30s. beautiful and glamorous. She's wealthy. Okay. And But the second woman, like, she's supposed to be a grandma, but she's like... 45 or 50. Yeah, no, they're, they're, nothing in this movie is age appropriate. Not a single scene. The opening scene, Dwight Yoakam plays Clint Eastwood's old boss and calls yeah. him in to the office to fire him, which already is like, this man should not be working for you every day. Give him yes. a pension and send him home. Right. But, so already, you're already, it's like off, like he's going to work. But uh, he shows up and, and he's like, Dwight Yoakam's like, you know... Just can't do it anymore with the booze and the pills. It's like if Clint Eastwood was doing booze and pills, he'd have been dead for a decade already. Like this is it's ridiculous. Like you can't invest in the reality of the movie. Yeah, the only pills he's taking are for hypertension. (laughs) I'm making fun. I actually feel like there's the nugget of a movie here. Like I didn't hate this. I actually think at some points it's like probably his best movie in a while. It's just like, I don't know, it's kind of impossible to take it seriously. And then it also, you can just tell a lot of the time that it's like, he probably could have tried again and gotten a better take out of that actor. This kind of gets awkward. Like, it's just, it, it, it lacks that sort of professionalism and pace that you're expecting. I, I agree that there's some, there, that there's a nugget of something. You know, the story is, you know, not completely flimsy. And the themes that he's trying to impart to you that are, you know, somewhat of a send up on so much of his old image on being the most man's man, on being the toughest guy in the room and the toughest guy in movies. Yeah, like Unforgiven, he's been kind of like, the movies are kind of looking back on the very Mm -hmm. like manly macho stuff he was making early in his career and kind of reflecting on it with wisdom of age. But like his, you know, he goes down to Mexico. Uh, Dwight Yoakam, his ex-boss, hires him for a job to go get his kid who's in Mexico with his, with his ex. And the kid, Clint Eastwood, like, so he has this kind of unlikely friendship, like, you know, um, Wolverine and X-23 or just... Clint keeps doing this. I mean, Gran Torino was also, he makes a yeah. friendship with like a kid and then Million Dollar Baby was like, he he, he really likes these roles where he's like the, the senior mentor and he kind of like helps a young kid in crisis. He, he's very attractive. This relationship is so unrealistic. I mean, the kid is just saccharine and like they say he's a bad kid. He's just this, but it doesn't live up to what it sets up. The, he's just this nice kid kid but he's like too nice and like it's just not a realistic relationship at all that's kind of what i mean like i feel like another filmmaker would there would be you just do another pass on the script to tighten it up and you some of these scenes you'd you'd give them another take or two until maybe you could get 
cut away some of the because you're right like performance of the young actor it's not great but i feel like it's not necessarily that young actor's fault like that's a kid that maybe on the fifth take would have nailed it and yeah. Clint's just tired and wants to move on and so you kind of get this like in between thing and uh it doesn't totally work i thought it was just a weird simplification of mexican people in general like in this movie there's no complexity you have two two kinds of Latinx or Mexican people. You basically have bad ones and simple good-hearted ones. And there's nothing in between. And I'm like, Clint, people are more complex than this. But I mean, it's a, I don't know if that's a Mexico thing. Or, it's kind of the movie. The movie is just very yeah. much like your people are good or some people are bad. And like, there's moments where it's so loose, it's almost like experimental. Like, there's a scene where there's a bunch of dudes with guns looking for Clint Eastwood and he's just in the middle of the road and then he kind of like scooches behind some boxes momentarily and it's like, that's not hiding. Like, that's not how you hide they would see you immediately, Clint. And it's just like suggesting the idea of hiding. And like, that's what this whole movie <laughs> is in a weird way. But having said that, there were a few moments that I thought were really effective. There's a scene in a church where he and the kid have kind of a heart to heart. And it's the only time you get the, the backstory of Clint Eastwood's character who kind of explains who he is and what, what made him the broken down uh, 55 to 90 year old that he is. Right. And I thought... Clint's great in that scene. It's 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 a good it's a really good performance from him in that moment. And I I, I don't know. There are moments that I thought were really terrific. I don't know. You got to kind of give yourself over to this. Like it's almost an experimental film. Like it's he's just not very big on creating a tight, realistic, forward momentum traditional kind of story. This is the perfect movie for a grandfather to watch with his grandson. Yes, I would And the say, grandfather right. to point at the screen and turn to his grandson and say, that's how you do it. That's how yeah. you do it. Yeah. Pretty I, much. I, I agree. It also builds to an action climax that is ludicrous. Yes, <laughs> there's, absolutely. There's a few action beats in this that are just like, sure, okay. You know, Clint, um, like on at least a one or two occasions, beating up uh, like virile younger men. <laughs> oh, there's he's a great, a, the, he's a brittle ninety-one year old man. This the scene where he breaks the Mustang. I wish I was making this up, folks. I wish this was a joke. There is a scene where his character breaks a wild Mustang, and he shoots it. You know, from middle distance, where it's obviously a stunt person on mm -hmm. top of this bucking horse, and then he'll shoot himself from like nipples up. Going like, oh, 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 like pretending to balance. And yeah. I mean, the, the illusion is not sustained. Let me just put it that way. Oh, and I, I really don't want to spoil it. So I'll, I'll try to sidestep uh, true spoilers. But Dwight Yoakam sends Clint Eastwood to Mexico to bring the kid back. And then we find out Dwight Yoakam's intentions are not like purely altruistic with this kid. But I mean, at no point would you imagine Dwight Yoakam's intentions are altruistic. They play him as a creep from minute one. So like Clint Eastwood, he's just gonna leave the kid with this creep at the end? Yes, is the it, answer. Like if that's how it pans out? Yeah, well, that's the job. Uh, he's yeah. A man hired to do a job. There's also a little rooster along for the ride. Oh, there's no, there's a lot of rooster. It's, oh, it's, yeah. it's there's way more rooster beats in this than I expected. Even after finding out the rooster was going to be with us the whole time, which was surprising. One of my favorite scenes in the whole movie is just Clint Eastwood is sleeping in the uh, booth of a restaurant, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and then like falls. There's a, a lot of beats. The one maybe realistic angle is a lot of the movie is built around Clint's character wanting to like take a little nap. Like there's, there's <laughs> at least four or five scenes that are like, oh, I might just lay down here for a little while. I feel like that was not in the script. That was just Clint on set. Wanted to be like, oh, I'm going to curl up in this booth, build a scene around it. So he's sleeping in this booth and then he wakes up and everybody else has busied themselves while he's asleep. And it's just him staring at this rooster. And Clint allows the moment to like play out. Like probably the best thing about this movie is that whereas every director under like the age of 40 now has been trained in America, has been trained to like hustle through these plots. Like you got to keep everybody's interest. Shit has to constantly be happening. You know, like a James Gunn movie where it's just throwing stuff at you every second. Mm -hmm. And Clint will just like let shit play out. Like you don't even know why you're letting this scene play out. It's just a guy walking into a a bar. It's just a man staring at a rooster after he wakes up. But it does kind of give the movie like a a little bit of its own rhythm and you get to, you feel like you're getting to know the people because you're just spending these unhustled movement moments with them. Beneath Clint trying to paint himself as a lover of women and virile men well into his 90s, etc. There's a heart under there. But I wish he would make a movie where he played just a really broken down, age-appropriate person. Like, do you remember in No Country for Old Men, the character played by Barry Corbin, who was Tommy Lee Jones' dad? Right, Tommy Lee Jones' dad. Like, that was a fucking broken... Like, Barry Corbin nailed that so hard. Um, Like, I want to see Clint play that. Yeah, Clint still wants to be the he wants to be the leading man you yes. know he doesn't want to play the 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 aged aged senior you know like he doesn't want to do Th- there that. are I moments get... to enjoy in this but there's also moments of unintentional comedy and cry it's a, macho it's a very weird movie it's wild uh cry macho on hbo max we also watched another movie kate the actioner on netflix where uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead kills a lot of Yakuza. So basically in this film, uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead is a, uh, is a, I want to say hit man, but th- that seems so gendered. You say hit woman, hit, assassin. Hit woman, hit person, assassin. Yeah. Uh, listen, she's Hired making all the killer. hits. She's, she's cranking out the hits. And she <laughs> she works with Woody Harrelson. He's like her handler and everything. And, uh, Something uh, goes awry while they're uh, they're in Japan. They're in Osaka, and she's dealing with uh, taking out Yakuza. And she gets po- I'm not giving anything away. This is in all the trailers. She gets poisoned, and now she wants to exact revenge on who poisoned she's her. Got, yeah, and, 24 hours to like mm-hmm. figure out which guy ordered the hit on me and take him out before she collapses and and dies. Yep. I loved the first half of this movie. The second half of this movie wow. was just repetitive. I think you're exactly wrong. The the the, the opening is the worst part. The, the first 30 minutes is garbage. It's the action. That's that's what's interesting. The like car chase where it's just a cartoon that, that, that stuff sucks. And it's obvious from the first moment what the ending twist is going to be. The only oh, reason absolutely. to watch this is the action. The, there's cool shootouts like there are, but the first half it's before everything becomes like, "Oh, I know exactly how this is going to go. I like the first half because there's different stuff happening. She's on hits. She's fighting some new groups of people. She's creating some new relationships. But then once you know that she's dying, there there are some fun moments within. Once the action movie starts? I've never, like, 
the the part you're talking about is before there's action. It's just like her doing a bad hit and then the worst car chase I've seen all year. And then she finds out she's dying. That's the stuff you liked? Before the gunplay and the fighting and the, yeah. the, the Yakuza stuff? Well, maybe a little bit into it, but at least like the last, <laughs> let me give the last third. But I, I like the parts you're talking about. I thought it was stylized. I like the music. I like the lighting. I like the way they, uh, they use the country. I don't really think there's much worth watching here except those big Yakuza showdown shootout things because they actually kind of let it. It doesn't feel so hyper cut that you can't see the action. But otherwise, I who gives who gives the one a in shit? the tea house. The one in the tea house I really liked. But that's the end. Sorry, the the yakuza hangout tea house. But that's the middle. That's not the beginning. The beginning, like I like the beginning. So, okay, oh boy. I, I'm listen. <laughs> I yeah, was, oh I almost turned right. it off in the first half hour. I thought it was so clunky and ridiculous. It's only after like everything's in place and she starts to actually shoot dudes that it gets fun, I thought. See, I thought the last half to third of this movie was just the same scene over and over and over again. Well, if you guys want to watch people walk around Tokyo and talk about... Osaka. Uh, hit. No, it's, most of the movie is in Tokyo. It's only that very beginning part that's Osaka. The, most, the, the majority of the film, folks, is set in Tokyo or just outside of Tokyo. I don't know. I, this is crazy talk. Like, really, to me, it feels like if you were going to recommend, like, Die Hard, but you were, like, only the first half hour when he's on the plane learning the learning the jet lag trick. And then I thought it was crap. Like, but that's the that good... Was, that was a great scene. That was a great scene. <laughs> it's like, I only like William Atherton and Bonnie Bedelia on the plane. Ooh, now you're speaking my language. But, see, I thought this was an interesting film and it was setting itself up and there was cool stuff happening. But every, like... The first Yakuza battle or so, great. But then it just kept repeating itself and repeating itself and repeating it's itself. It's an action movie where she shoot, she's she's taking out the Yakuza. Like, sure, it's a revenge movie. They're a little You want an action movie to top itself, and this movie doesn't top itself. The final battle in this is huge. and I feel like you're, we're, we're giving people a warped idea of what this movie is. The movie ends with like a half hour crazy Yakuza war between these two factions and it's really bloody and big and over the top and cool and like it's definitely the biggest action scene in the movie in as much as yes there are more people like it does top the earlier stuff where there's a few guys with swords there are more people with machine guns it is true in that. All right. I mean, we're just going to have to agree to disagree on this one. I, I liked it, but I only liked the stuff Hal didn't like, where it's an action movie about a lady killing a bunch of Yakuza guys. When it's like, oh, is this assassin going to redeem herself because she has a sad and she's going to meet this kid? And like, who gives a fuck? I don't, I've seen that a million times. I don't care. It's like our 18th assassin meets a kid movie this year yes i like honestly could give a shit and when i thought in the beginning there's like way too much style it's real flashy and trying to like show off i was bored it's only when it kind of settles in and has some pretty polished shootouts and fight scenes that was the stuff that held my interest so do do with that i know this isn't a helpful segment but do with that what you will. No, but we shouldn't have to agree every time, and that's fine. No, it's just we're saying such opposite things. It's just like, who do you believe? Like, watch the movie and decide which one of us is crazy. I liked the stylized. I like seeing a little bit of the life of this uh, lone uh, female assassin just uh, kind of going through, you know, committing some hits, going through her life. You like the part where she was on the date. That, that was like, I want to see an assassin date. 
Yeah, because I knew some shit was like might not be right here. All right, I just I just don't agree. That's why that that's allowed. Also, like I I like some of the music. I really enjoyed hearing that Japanese rap music. I thought there that is was a lot. All... It's all Japanese music, so there's a lot of like Japanese pop and and hip hop on the soundtrack. I liked seeing her drive in that stupid car. It wasn't even that it's the stupid car. It's that that as soon as the action starts, there's a big car chase where she's driving like a souped up car with like neon lights or whatever and you could tell like it's not well done enough that the moment that the whole car chase becomes animated and it just it looks like a cartoon in the middle of this live action movie and that was the scene where i was like oh i don't want to watch this if it's going to be like if the action's going to be bad and like it's going to look all cartoony i don't care but then it was like right after that they have a shootout that feels more practical and like something they really shot in like longer takes and it doesn't feel so cut up like I've watched a lot of action movies where like Mortal Kombat we talked about or uh, I, we didn't talk about it on the show but I watched that Snake Eyes G.I. Joe movie mm-hmm. and it's so the action scenes are so hacked to pieces you can't tell the you can't discern the fight choreography and the stunts and all the good work that went into making those scenes and Kate I feel like is is not like that like you really do feel the impact of a lot of the punches and it does feel like there's some thought put into how to capture this and make it kinetic and inciting and i also thought mary elizabeth winstead does a good job she's doing like a very like she was in a diehard movie so this isn't a crazy comparison but she's doing kind of a john mcclain like she's dying over the course of the movie she's getting increasingly Mm -hmm. injured and it doesn't feel like one of those movies where she's just invulnerable and she takes no damage like she's believably getting like increasingly banged up over the course of the story which i i like i thought she i thought she pulled it off performance wise pretty well yeah. Uh, of like, I believe this person's about to collapse from exhaustion at any point. Yeah, I enjoyed the performance. The conceit was uh, well uh, done, brought to life. Uh, but yeah, I just felt like at a certain point, all of the killing just kind of ran together. And it's like, okay, more of this. But Lon and I part ways on that. More killing, I say. All right. Yeah, I mean, just kill them all. Let, let God sort them out. Kill them all. Let Mary Elizabeth Winston <laughs> sort them out. Woody Harrelson sort them out. Uh, and so many uh, rings. How many rings is Woody Harrelson wearing in this? At least, a lot of rings, a lot of bracelets too. Bracelets. A lot of bracelet. And... He's he's. I feel like that's like how he got into this character. He says like, you know what? This guy wears a lot of jewelry. That's his thing, and that like that that puts him in the mindset. You know, that's how he becomes this guy as he puts on all of his like turquoise. This is not giving anything away, but th- there are flashbacks with uh, Woody Harrelson and. He looks exactly the same age. Yeah, they don't make he any looks exactly the same. It's like him it's, and a little girl. Like, yes. And, and it's, he looks exactly yeah, the same. Yeah, it's Mary Elizabeth Winstead as a little girl. Um, <laughs> and uh, not giving anything away. Hard living. He was a hard living 30, Woody Harrelson. Yes. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, at the end of the day, uh, Lon, I would give this a slight recommendation. I would definitely recommend it just purely for the Yakuza action. Like if you're a fan of like Japanese action movies, you'd probably find something to enjoy. You know, as I, I did say, the some of the sequences run together for me, but there's absolutely some standout action sequences well, look, I'm as well. It reconsider already, folks. I'm we're, 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 I'm chipping away. We'll have a Kate. We'll have a Kate fan on our hands by uh, next week's show. You know what? Chime in. Let us know if you enjoyed yeah, the first half or the second half. Which is the better half of Kate? Or you just enjoyed the middle, and you could tell both of us to go fuck ourselves. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I did see the twist coming a mile away, as you oh said. Oh my god. It's one of those, and I'm not going to say exactly what it is, but yeah. it's one of those where the casting gives it away. It's just the Roger Eber used to call it the law of economy of characters. The idea mm-hmm. that we know 
a character isn't in a movie for no reason. So if someone shows up in the movie and you're like, wait, why is that person there? That's a dead giveaway that they're going to become important at the end. And, and this totally fails on that front because we know this character is there and we're waiting for some reason for them to be there. And then eventually you're just like, oh, I know the reason. There it is. Kate is on Netflix now. Uh, Lula Rich on Amazon Prime, which is about the trials and tribulations of this multi-level marketing company, Lula Row, that recruits women and families to sell their lines of ladies' clothes and build a marketing empire. I had never... There show clips of, like, John Oliver and, like, TV people making LuLaRoe jokes. Mm-hmm. I had... I swear before I watched this, I would not... I did not know what LuLaRoe was. I... This was just not aimed at me. I am outside of the world. I mean, obviously, like, a lot of the thing is about they preyed specifically on moms and moms who are like stay-at-home moms. You don't or, purchase a lot of ladies' leggings, Right, Lon? so like there's no reason I would have heard about it, but I was still shocked at how big it was and that it had not popped up on my radar like at all. Like, I've heard of a lot of MLMs that I don't, like, I know about Herbalife and that's not aimed at me sure. either, you know? Mm-hmm. And like whatever that knife one is. Cutco? No, not, there, there's, what, what, I'll look it up. There is a knife one that a lot of people like I know in LA almost got taken in by uh, on qvc there's often us they often have sales where you pay 75 oh, it, right. it, it is cutco you are oh. absolutely right i thought that was a, a joke you were making but no you're right that's the one uh so yeah there's tons of companies like that yes uh this is just one of the but it, it got really big that's the the thing that was surprising me is how blew huge up it was. billions of dollars and you kind of get the sense from it that they thought they were going to be able to fly under the radar more and they kind of didn't have their shit together. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason that it blew up on them was because it got too big too fast. And if it's almost like if they had scammed fewer people at first, they could have kept the scam going for longer. Yes. And they almost fucked themselves by overdoing it right away. But the thing is, this company is still in business. It is. I, I'm much smaller than it, it. Like, it had this peak, and then a lot of people figured out it was a scam and either yeah. quit or got their money out. But it it is still it is still humming, and they have this one very sad uh, personality who she is still clinging to like the belief that it's gonna pay out, and like she's still all in, and you really kind of feel bad. Listen, she's still out there living, laughing, and loving. Yeah, she she's, is living she just her never best gave life. Up on the dream, yeah, and like refuses to accept that it's a uh, you know she's gonna start taking horse paste soon. But look. oh boy, yep. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a classic pyramid scheme. And these pe- it's preying upon people with these dreams. They show, oh, how successful. And they, uh, we go inside these seminars and these uh, giant gatherings that they have where they're f- filling people's heads with visions of sugar plums. Meanwhile, the people at the bottom are scrounging to make ends meet. But the, as you go higher up that pyramid... That's where the money is because if you if you're selling, you got to kick up percentages to the yeah, top. Yeah, it's, it's, it's always the same. It's the up yeah. the upline, your upline versus your downline. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like the 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 idea is you just have to keep. It's really about recruiting. They, the way that it's legal, like a conventional pyramid scheme, is illegal because that's all you're doing is like you recruit people, they pay you, you pay up, and then they recruit people under them and whatever. The way that multi level marketing differentiates itself, but they're saying. We're not just paying you to recruit. We're paying you to sell a real thing. In this case, blouses and shirts and leggings and whatever other clothing stuff they're selling. 
but most of the real money is coming from the recruiting. You only get a thin margin on selling the leggings. You don't make the real money unless you're recruiting dozens of people to serve as salesmen underneath you. Yeah. And that's where it becomes sort of pyramid scheming. I there's a there's an idea in poker of being pot committed. You know, you know what mm-hmm. that means? Yep. You go kind of all in or yeah. you've already bet enough into the pot that it doesn't make sense to fold now. You might yes. as well. You've got so much of your money in there already. Financially, you should just put the rest of your money in on the chance that you'll get a big payday instead of just folding your car. Right. Uh, and I think that psychologically, uh, we get pot committed to stuff and that we shouldn't. And I think that I brought up like the the inver- ivermectin and the, the, the vaccine. Like to me, it's kind of the same psychological thing. It's like, I'm already very committed to not believing in COVID and not believing in the vaccine. And at this point, I would almost rather just keep going on the off chance that it's going to pay off huge and I get to be right in the end than fold my cards and admit now that I'm wrong and, and lose all of that, whatever. And uh, and I think Either that, way, that guy's going to wind up uh, being uh, intubated. <laughs> yes. I, in that way, it's yeah. very stark. In, in the LuLaRoe way, it's maybe a little, you only lose money, you don't die. But I think it's kind of the same thing. It's like after years of buying into this scam and believing it, at a certain point, you just become like it's so psychologically painful to have to admit that you've been wrong for all this time. And you've recruited all your friends. You brought all these other people in. You've you've convinced your spouse. You, you know, you're, you're, you've gone so deep into this thing that it's so hard to admit that you were wrong that a lot of people just keep it going even after it's obvious that it's not going to. You know, the, the leggings are coming in with mold on them. Yes, the, the quality of the products got worse and worse. The interviews with uh, the people who kind of left the LuLaRoe uh, flock uh, in from the the uh, sales capacity to the people who actually worked in the company, they get a lot of good interviews. And one of the cool things about this is that the people who started it, this uh, the, the man and woman who's uh, who are the founders, CEO of... LuLaRoe, we they sat down for an interview, and they are just unintentionally hilarious. And then you also get get to juxtapose that with them being deposed for a major uh, class action lawsuit from LuLaRoe. So right, so what you know, they're doing one scene where they're like they're all smiles, talking about we're running the company, we're doing everything every day, and then you immediately will cut to a deposition where they're like, well, I don't know, I I had nothing to do with that. It's just like the duplicity is so yes immediate and obvious, and and just that they're like on on one level it is amazing because it's such a it's so performative, like they're. Mm-hmm. When they're being interviewed for the film and they're in this set dressed office and they're made up and they're 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 so clearly playing characters and you see it drop even when the deposition is happening, they're not playing these characters. And and it, it does kind of strike you like obviously we're getting this kind of behind the scenes look, but none of the people around them could tell this was a character. Like you, you just it's 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 similar in some ways to watching like the Nexium documentary the vow i felt yeah. kind of the same way where it's like it's so easy for us now to sit in judgment and like watch it back and be like how right. could they not tell this guy was like keith ranieri seems so obviously full of shit to me these people are yeah it just seems like they're putting up this facade and it's like you have to be so weak-minded to buy into it yeah. but they they put off this uh, veneer of success 
and people bought into it. But the, oh, the, and the woman is hilarious. She, imagine just at the end of the video game uh, levels, the boss level Karen, just fully boss level it's Karen. Very, it's, it's, it's interesting that, um, and there's a movie where Jessica Chastain is playing Tammy Faye Baker right yes, now. Yes, yes. But it's interesting how that look is remained so consistent since I was a child. Like, these two look like Jim and Tammy Faye still. Like, we that mm-hmm. that that like idiom of what a huckster couple looks like yeah. it, it is preying on the same sort of demographics big of blonde hair lots yeah, of makeup it, right yeah. just like very ostentatious very but like like trumpian in a yes, way yes sure and and it's it's amazing to me that that aesthetic has remained so weirdly consistent in american life that you see these people and you know exactly what their their pitch is going to be for sure. Bootstraps, and, you know, like you just like immediately, like you works if you work it. Like, you know what those. If you want to succeed, work harder. Okay, you're not succeeding. You need to, you need to step it up. And not only are the business practices all questionable here and it's a pyramid scheme, but then uh, the documentary, uh, the, the docuseries kind of takes a weird turn because the the folks running LuLaRoe are trying to impart just bizarre social and uh, familial uh, practices. <laughs> like at yeah, some point they start talking about the practices. Book of Mormon. And- yeah, it's really bizarre. There's just like really insidious social machinations. This is what I mean. Remember like early in the show and I was talking about how I did not feel that the Bob Ross documentary had the goods. Like they were pulling yeah. me in and then they got to the end and it's like, where were the goods? This one has the fucking goods. Like, there's just so many mm-hmm. details that are just interesting and fascinating and feel like they could spit up. There is one guy who is part of the extended family of the founders, and he was the event coordinator in the early days of LuLaRoe. And at first you like him. Like, this is what's so brilliant about the way they weave him into the story, is at first he seems like the truth teller. Like, he feels like the outside guy that's like, I don't know what we were doing. It was just a big crazy party. And you're like, oh, I like this guy. He's the one rational guy. And then they introduce very slowly that he may be the most sinister of all. Like, you can't trust any of these people. Mm -hmm. You can't trust any of their... They're all being self-serving. And he ends up with some really crazy detours. The... the, 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 He was... At one point... I'm going to give this part away because it's so good. Mm -hmm. At one point, he was... After he left the company and was ostracized, because it is like cult-like. You quit LuLaRoe and then they're they're not allowed to talk to you anymore. You're a suppressive person. Uh, (laughs) So he would start reaching out to people when they left LuLaRoe and offering them to go in on a pot farm venture with him. Yes. And that (laughs) stuff is amazing. It comes out of nowhere. He's being super sincere, like, I thought I was going to get in on this pot farm. It's so good. It's so funny. Yeah, the characters being interviewed, the the steps that happen along the way, it starts to get darker and weirder. If I'm just going to, as a public service, and then we can move on. Mm-hmm. If somebody comes to you out of the blue and is like, give me $30,000 to invest in a pot farm, don't do it because that's fake. They're, what? They, yeah, unless you have valid, verifiable, like you can go to the pot farm. There's no pot farm. They just want $30,000. Use your head. Let me let me uh, give oh, you my oh, take on what Lon just said. Oh, wow. I would say, see if you can get a little bit of the bud first. 
test it out, but, but then hell, see if you can go... I can go down go... the street and get you a little bit of, of, of kind bud. That's not, that's not proof of anything. What about $30,000 worth? But then you're not investing in my pot farm, then you're just buying weed. Let's talk about this pot. <laughs> I want to know more about the pot farm. I think I might be the wrong audience here. All right. Lula Rich, it's on Amazon. Absolutely uh, worth watching. You got to visit the pot farm. Ask for, I got to come to the pot farm, introduce me to the grower. Then we can talk, uh, we can talk startup funds. Color me interested. Lula Rich is available on Amazon and we've come to the end of another journey of binge boys always a little sad hoot hoot hashtag owl nation uh thank you to all the hooligans out there in owl nation thanks starburns audio thank you to travis reeves our awesome producer making it happen thank you to jason k for the sweet licks to open the show lon do you want to uh, tell the folks anything i do uh i want to first tell you to follow me on twitter that's l-o-n-s that's the best place to keep up with what i'm working on i also want to tell you to check out my other podcast it's called Garmin Shosia. I'm going to spell it because a guy a, a guy joined Twitter and reached out to me specifically to say that he listens to Binge Boys and he wanted to check out the other show that I'm on, but he could not tell what I was saying. And so he had to go to Twitter specifically and make an account just to reach out to me. I don't want to put anybody through that. So it's G-A-R-M-O-N. S-H-O-W, the word show, Z-I-A, Garmin Shosia. You can also look up Content Candy. That's the network it's on, and that's anywhere you find your podcast. One more thing, Al, before I send it back to you. Yes, sir. Uh, I would like to recommend or suggest a movie for us all for next week. There is a horror film from the UK. It is on VOD this week. I just randomly discovered it from a recommendation online. It's called Censor, C-E-N-S-O-R, like to censor a video. Yes. I thought it was terrific. I'd like to turn more people onto it. So let's talk about that next week. And folks listening, if you want to check out Censor this week, we'll be back next week to talk about it. What about that? What do you think of that? I like it. I like it. All and right. well, um, that's go. that's very cool, uh, giving uh, folks a little homework assignment so they can rejoin or just uh, hear our opinions and watch it at a later date. But uh, yeah. It stars an actress who's got a very Irish name that I'm going to mangle. She's also from Raised by Wolves. So if you watch the oh, yeah. HBO Max, she's the main human woman. So like the the side with the, you know, she's she and her husband are impersonating another couple and they're leading the human colonists on the alien planet. Gotcha. That's her. Uh, she stars in this movie. Censor. I thought it was uh, a lot of fun. Thanks for the tip, Lon. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Hal Rudnick and... Check out my Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash Hal Rutnick. On that channel, we're doing movie watch-alongs. There are several comedy shows every month, including uh, if you are listening. Oh, you, you're probably going to hear this after the fact. But you can go there, and it'll still be up. It'll still be up. Yeah, go check uh, it out. You can uh, check out uh, the show Tournament of Nerds, which we do once a month. And Lon, he has judged before, but he's going to make his debating uh, uh, competition debut uh, yeah. on Tournament of Nerds. Very excited to uh, see Lon uh, take that for a spin. Been, and uh, I want to thank everybody for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Bye bye. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys.